Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Impact of Influence, The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. So grateful that you have joined us for another episode. Always appreciate your feedback. And where can they reach out, Seton Tucker? You can reach us on our Facebook page, which is Murdoch Podcast, or on our website, which is MurdochPodcast.com. And you can email me if you want, Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. And coming up on this episode, we're going to talk about drug connections, allegedly with Alec Murdoch. We are going to also visit a Wall Street Journal article that came out a few weeks ago about the Mallory Beach boating fatality. We're going to break that down for you and what is the latest twists and turns in that. But we begin with the fact that, Seton, you had a chance to talk with John Marvin Murdoch, Alec's brother, who is not in the legal profession. What did he tell you? Well, I reached out to him because two episodes ago, we reported on this river search that was happening. And then Fitz News came out with an article that said that John Marvin was at the site of this river search. So I reached out to him to find out if he was at the site and if so, why. And he told me that he was just driving by the site. He has property in close proximity, and he was going to check on his dove fields. The following weekend after the search was the opening day of dove season. And dove hunting is huge in that area. Very, very big. In fact, I talked to an attorney the other day who went to USC, and uh, he was talking about, remember the labor, obviously, you remember the Labor Day, Cousin Eddie, did he or did he not shoot Alec event? He was in a dove field that day when he heard the news. It was like, oh, I didn't even know dove hunting was so big. But he's like, yeah, everybody does dove hunting. I did see a lot of Facebook pictures. So I asked him also if he did stop and participate in the search in any way. He said that he did stop briefly to speak to the investigators, but he did not participate in the search in any way. So he just kind of came upon it, rolled down his window and said, hey, what you guys doing? <laughs> right? That's that kind of he, thing. That's what he yeah. says. Now we'll move on to the drug situation, which is the thought that Alec Murdoch is involved with moving drugs. According to Creighton Waters, that's the deal. He says that he calls it upstream, that uh, all these checks that went to Cousin Eddie from Alec were for uh, Eddie to go buy, give these guys Roberts and Rivers money. We'll get to them in a minute. And then they would buy the drugs. They give it back to Cousin Eddie, and he'd give them to Alec. Okay, but nobody's been charged with that. He, they just say in open court, this is what's going on. Now, that fired up the New York Post, who had an article about a possible Waterboro Cowboys connection. 
Right. So they actually interviewed Mark Peppers, who is the attorney for Roberts. And in this interview, he says that they're grasping at straws. They don't have enough to get Murdoch on murder and that they're desperate. And this is an attempt to try to get Cousin Eddie to talk. And he actually says they're trying to send a message, but it's ridiculous. Now, if you want to go back and listen to Spencer Roberts uh, episodes a few episodes ago, but right now what they're, they found some narcotics when they went to this gambling den with him. He ripped off the, the COVID payment program. You know, he made up a company and got money. He may have gotten some checks from uh, Alec, but there's no drug charges yet. Now, there's a new character that enters the fray uh, a couple of weeks ago who got arrested as well. And his name is Jerry Rivers. He has done time for cocaine long, like I think 10 years ago. Uh, and again, Creighton Waters is tying Rivers to Alec Murdoch, but without charging him with anything. And it was about Rivers taking a cell phone during the search of Spencer Roberts' gambling den. Here, Creighton explains. But the real reason we're here, Your Honor, is uh, despite the fact that Mr. Rivers' phone was in um, the outbuilding on a charger, uh, when it came time for law enforcement to uh, allow those who were not being arrested to leave, but they were all clearly advised that the cell phones were being retained pursuant to that search warrant. Uh, indeed, after the narcotics were found, another search warrant was obtained, which included cell phones. Uh, Mr. Rivers, who had been sitting next to Mr. Roberts uh, while law enforcement did what it needed to do, uh, got up and grabbed Mr. Roberts' cell phone and left the scene. Law enforcement, once they realized that phone was missing, uh, uh, went and found Mr. Rivers and approached him and had a conversation with him. And Mr. Rivers, and this would have been the next day, and uh, Mr. Rivers admitted that he had taken the phone and that he had given it to Spencer Roberts' people. Uh, law enforcement told him he needed to go get that phone back. Uh, a day after that, Mr. Rivers uh, called law enforcement and said, I have the phone, left it in a mailbox. Uh, the phone that had been taken by Mr. Rivers, uh, that was evidence at a uh, search warrant scene, uh, was an iPhone, but the one he returned was an Android phone. When confronted with this, Mr. Rivers pretty much said words to, you can't blame a guy for trying, or words to that effect. <laughs> Well, you would have thought he could have at least gotten the same brand of fan. Yes, yes. And next, we go on to a clip where he brings up a potential connection between Rivers and Murdoch. And additionally, on top of that, uh, Mr. Rivers is part of the investigation in as much as he's one of the individuals downstream from Alec Murdoch to Spencer Roberts, to uh, Alec Murdoch to Eddie Smith to Spencer Roberts and other individuals who received uh, substantial amounts of checks, and uh, this is high five figures for Mr. Rivers of uh, checks that he received that ultimately had their source uh, from uh, funds of Alec Murdoch that are subject to multiple indictments at this time. I find it interesting in there, he mentions other people. He say, he mentions Rivers and, and uh, Cousin Eddie and Roberts, but he also mentions there's others that got checks. So that'll be interesting who the others were. And he mentions the amount of the checks just casually, but we know that one of the checks that this Rivers dude got was $89,000. That's a pretty large sum of money. So Rivers was quoted in the New York Post article, and he says, I ain't done nothing. I've been railroaded. Hmm. So we have another clip to listen to, which goes into what Rivers did for a living. Your Honor, he is currently unemployed due to supply chain issues, but prior to his unemployment, um, Last year, he 
had a transportation business where he was uh, taking around uh, goods and things of that nature to businesses. I just found it interesting that he was a delivery driver as his cousin Eddie. Well, I mean, if you're allegedly going to be moving drugs and money around, pretty good occupation to have if you're going to do that, be a delivery person. And supply chain is the supply chain. The fact that money wasn't rolling in from Murdoch since whenever his arrest was. Possibly, but, you know, there have been supply chain issues with COVID. Sure. All right. Let's go to the New York Post article again. So in this article, they interview several gang members, and one of the gang members is quoted saying that Ellick runs half the drugs in this county. Let's get a, a number to that. We know that it's been said that he's been charged with, Ellick has, of writing 437 checks for $2.4 million or there, give or take, from 2013 to about 2020 to Cousin Eddie. Now let's assume that these things are going to drugs. Is that half? Of the county, 2.4. Oh, and also the uh, 80,000 to the, one of the Rivers Roberts guys. Okay, the, the Rivers Roberts, we got to come up with different names. It's just too close to each other. They are. So, you know, that's uh, about 3 million. Is that half the drugs in, in that area? I, I doubt it, considering what a hot spot uh, Walterboro is. Right. Walterboro is right on 95, kind of halfway between New York and Miami. So it's a, it's a, Good location if you want to run drugs. <laughs> you know this? You've been, you've been, when you were running drugs back in your day, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Never no. been a drug runner. No. We also have a quote from a gang member who says that it's BS and that they're just trying to get the cowboy's name in there to muddy the water and to get everyone to think that we done kill those people. And that maybe they should look at a corrupt white sheriff instead. What, they're, what he's referring to there is former Colleton County Sheriff Andy Strickland, Colleton County is uh, Moselle, the property where the murders happened. Part of that is in Colleton County. Uh, the Colleton County Sheriff Andy Strickland was in charge of putting behind bars seven cowboys or eight cowboys and sentenced to prison. And then three years later, 2020, this former Colleton County Sheriff Andy Strickland uh, himself was accused of selling illegal drugs and he agreed to a plea deal and he got five years probation. So that's who's referring to in that. What's the title of this Post article, Seton, because that is what they were working with when I was on court TV the other night. That was their, their, one of their big talking points. The title is Latest Twist in the Murdoch Mystery, More Like Ozark Every Day. And so they brought up this Ozark thing. And uh, one of the people that I was on with is an attorney down in that area. And he's like, ah, Ozark Marty Bird was pretty brilliant. And Alec, not so much. Uh, is what he said, because if he was laundering money, he was pretty doing it pretty poorly. The amount of money is not as, as huge as Marty Bird, but he wrote checks. There's paper trails, all this stuff. Right. You know, he's no Marty Bird. Uh, that is for sure, as far as the skills to pull it off. Now, we'll take a quick break, bear with us, and then we will be back to discuss the latest developments in the Mallory Beach boating accident and an article that was written in the Wall Street Journal titled, A Convenience Store Magnet, Teen Drinking, and a Fatal Boat Crash, The Legal Case Shaking South Carolina. Plus, our legal analyst, John Snyder, will join us. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. 
There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Let's talk about the latest developments legally and a Wall Street Journal article about the Mallory Beach boating fatality. And so we welcome in our legal analyst. He's a former district attorney and a former defense attorney. He is John Snyder. Hello, John. Hello. How are you guys today? We're doing great. Let's hit it, Seton. John, before we get to the Wall Street Journal article, let's talk about the latest legal developments in the boating accident litigation. Judge Hall has ruled to sever the defendants. Uh, John, what is this and why is it advantageous to Parker's? What this is, is this was a motion brought by Parker's attorneys to say, we have this, we have a transaction that occurred that began the day that Paul left his house and ended with, you know, 911 calls for, for missing voter. And so what the judge has done by granting this motion is he's cut that trial into parts. So the part about liability for the driving the boat and all that will go down one track. And then the part related to the selling of alcohol to Paul will be its own separate trial. So how are the beach attorneys reacting to this dividing up of the cases into one track with Parker's and one track with Murdoch? Tinsley and other plaintiff's lawyers are are vehemently against this. And in fact, he's filed a motion to reconsider, which means the judge had a hearing, both sides presented arguments. Judge goes back to chambers, an order gets written. The order gets given to both sides. And Tinsley and his side, upon reading this, basically files a new motion to say, judge, you're in a, in a respectful and appropriate way, procedural way, we disagree with this. We'd like you to consider this and basically alter your earlier ruling. One of the things that Tinsley brings up in his motion is that the Beach family will have to incur the expense of two trials instead of one. What are your thoughts on this? I agree with that assessment, but I can see it both sides in this case. So on the one side, Tinsley and, and, and the Beach family is saying, hey, we've got to sit through two jury trials now. Conversely, the two jury trials that they're going to have are going to be a lot shorter because the issues that are at stake overall are consolidated. So, so now it's focused on, on the stuff related to the boating, and then it's focused on the stuff related to the sale of alcohol to a minor. And so it, it may actually be more efficient to have these issues heard separately. Another point that Tinsley brings up in his motion is that the notoriety of the Murdoch family uh, should not be a proper consideration in the motion to sever. I agree with that. I mean, I, I think Lady Justice is blind, and so everybody should be treated the same way that any other party coming before a court is treated. I understand the argument for on the publicity side for moving venue potentially, 
but I don't think any consideration should be given to them as a result of that there's something special because I, I do think it reinstitutionalizes a lot of the behavior that we've that we've had issue with, which is these people think there's something special. They think they're maybe above the law. And if the law turns around and treats them that way, maybe they're right. And that's that's totally yeah. out of reality for anybody else that deals with a case in South Carolina. On September 16th, Judge Hall had a hearing to go over the motion for reconsideration. Uh, we don't know the results of this yet, but John, what are your thoughts on this motion? I, I think it raises some very good points. I think the judge is more likely to say that's an issue for appeal. And so while I, you know, while I appreciate the effort and the and the legal scholarship that you've shown in your your motion, I'm going to keep my ruling consistent with what I ruled earlier. The, one of the problems with a motion to reconsider, and in fact, some courts won't even do them anymore, is it's like you have your day in court, both sides come in, they get a chance to argue, and if somebody doesn't like what happens, they just, you know, they tell their lawyer, I want you to go back and ask the judge again. And it's like that undermines the finality of judgment that, that you want to have in a court case. Let's talk about the Wall Street Journal article that came out on August 13th, entitled A Convenience Store Magnet, Teen Drinking and a Fatal Boat Crash, The Legal Case Shaking South Carolina by Valerie Bauerlein, who is a good person and a great reporter. And in this article, she interviewed both Greg Parker, whose convenience store sold Paul Murdoch and the kids alcohol the night of the fateful crash. And Mark Tinsley, who's the attorney for the Beach family. Yes, this was a massive article, lots to digest. And we've talked about before, there are these two lawsuits. There's the boating crash litigation, and there's a separate lawsuit, which is about intentional infliction of emotional distress. This was filed by Mark Tinsley on behalf of the Beach family. And in this litigation, they talk about some leaked mediation documents and also some allegations that Parker's team disseminated negative information about Mallory Beach. And this article was actually mentioned in some court filings because it says that possibly Greg Parker admits in this article to some of the very things that Tinsley has accused him of doing. John, let's start with the definition or explanation of intentional infliction of emotional distress. Absolutely. It's or IIED is what, what a lot of people will call them in the legal field. It basically it means that you have engaged in behavior that was so reckless and so cruel that there was no way for it not to negatively affect the plaintiff. And, and so you've acted with such reckless disregard for another human being that it creates uh, emotional damage. And one of the big elements is not only your feelings have to be hurt, but you have to have some kind of monetary damage or, or, or medical harm. So for instance, if, if Seton tells Matt that his, his breath is so bad that Funyuns couldn't contain the smell yeah, and, and then Matt <laughs> has to go and get counseling and he can't eat anymore. That would be intentional infliction of emotional distress, uh, where you know that some what you're saying or doing is going to create emotional harm 
it's not just her feelings. It's her feelings combined with needing counseling, uh, having to seek medical attention. So give me an example how some of these lawsuits typically are won. They're typically won where maybe like a cyberbullying case where somebody is alleging criminal behavior or immoral behavior uh, about somebody that's either emotionally vulnerable, somebody that's elderly, teenagers, non-public figures, that, that you're out there saying these just awful things about somebody. And as a result, you have to go get counseling and kind of treatment over it. So it's not super common, a claim of action, but it is a valid claim because just, just kind of like how your mama taught you to be nice to other people, when you start to act not nice to the point it really hurts people, you can get sued over that. In the article, it referenced that Mr. Parker has hired this large team that includes lawyers, private investigators, investigative journalists, social media strategists, opposition researchers, and crisis managers. This admission is referenced in Tinsley's motion to quash. John, what do you make of Parker's admission to hiring this team? I think their standard operating procedure, when you've been accused of a kind of a moral tort, if you will, one of the things that is an absolute defense is the truth. If you're out there saying that somebody's a, you know, an alcoholic and they've sued you over that, you have a right to go gather evidence to prove that the person is an alcoholic. I don't think it, it's unusual at all for defense counsel for Parkers to have hired a team of people to help man, you know, do digital reputation management, find out if the people that are accusing him of being a bad guy are, are bad themselves and trying to understand the nature of who you're dealing with in a lawsuit. We also have a mention of this man named Greg Roman. He is referenced as an investigative journalist and Parker's admits to hiring him. Back in July of 2021, he published a blog about the boating accident. And he was also a producer on the Vicki Ward documentary, which featured some of the photos of Mallory Beach's body after she died, as well as some of the Snapchat videos from the boaters the night of the accident. Do you feel that Roman's relationship with Parker's is problematic? No, I mean, if he was hired to find out information and he has a reputation for being successful at that, that's what you're supposed to do. Your job as, a, as counsel is to know everything you possibly can about both sides of the case so you can provide good advice to your client. I understand that you can cast it in a negative light, but it is not uncommon for both plaintiff's lawyers and defense lawyers to hire people to find out information about people on the other side of a case. What if we find out that Greg Roman leaked the documents and the pictures of Mallory Beach's body. Is that problematic for Parker's? It all depends on what the scope of employment was and whether Parker's had knowledge and authorized its release. If they had no knowledge, 
no uh, involvement in this material getting released, I don't think there's any liability for Parker's in that. Elsewhere in the article, Mr. Parker says that his team has pieced together some of the details about Alec Murdoch's financial holdings, including allegations of questionable property exchanges and suspicions related to the deaths of Stephen Smith and Gloria Satterfield. When I hear that, I wonder if there will be subpoenas from state law enforcement in trying to find out things that may be reasons or helpful to the case against Alec's murder charges. Parker says he hired these people because, quote, he was shocked at the incestuousness of the South Carolina legal system. We were trying to find out who and what we were up against. Tinsley comes in and he says that it's personal for him now and he wants to take Parker's for everything he's got. And he says, I can prove everything he did and I'm going to get him to write me a big check. Well, that's what he's after. I mean, it doesn't, some people are like, oh, it's about money. Well, of course it's about somewhat money. It's making somebody pay for something they felt they were responsible for. So let's talk about the boat crash litigation. Parker's is denying any responsibility for the crash. And we learn in the article that the other defendants have settled for $1.7 million. And this includes the host of the Oyster Roast, the bar where they drank in Beaufort, and also the estate of Randolph Murdoch III. Since Alec Murdoch's assets have been frozen, This leaves Parker's as the sole defendant. So, John, explain this for us. So, because there's joint and several liability, what Tinsley is trying to do is leverage the fact that the other defendants have settled. The Murdoch's are judgment-proof. The only person that has money left that can pay out is Parker's. And Parker's side is taking the position of, We didn't do anything wrong. We are not just going to write you a check because we feel like we're being shaken down because Paul happened to have a fake ID that looked almost identical to Paul. So Buster and Paul look a whole lot alike and that there was no mistake on the part of the clerk at Parker's. And by the way, after Paul left Parker's, he went a bunch of other places and had alcohol. And so, therefore, they don't have any liability. So it is a, a gamble and a, an approach that Parker's attorney is taking as, as plaintiffs or as defendants. And Tinsley is trying to push their hand. And that's, that, that's what this is. And I, I should mention that Tinsley talking about the, the height and weight are completely different on the two Murdoch boys. Mr. Parker said that a SLED agent testified that the clerk did her due diligence in checking the ID and that South Carolina law doesn't require checking height and weight. And it's also noted that height and weight is self-reported when you go to the DMV in South Carolina. In South Carolina, Parker's, the convenience stores, could be held 100% financially responsible. John, explain the alcohol law in regards to this the way it is in South Carolina. That is a reaction and a law that's been on the books for some time to basically make sure that the people that sell and distribute alcohol in the state are under a higher standard and that they do check IDs, that they do all the due diligence that you want uh, to prevent underage drinking and prevent over-serving. There's a, a particular fold in the law in South Carolina 
that says that if, if they're partly responsible, they can be held all the way responsible. And so that's that's kind of the inflection point between Parker's and Tinsley. Parker's is going to argue we're not at all responsible in any, you know, not even 1%, therefore move along Tinsley. And Tinsley's going to say they might be 5%, but there's some percentage. Therefore, they could be on the hook for the whole amount of, of claims that the injured parties in the boat, boat accident, including the fatality, liability would all attach to Parker's. As we've talked about before how in South Carolina, removing the liquor part of it, let's just say that the, the boat fatality happens, you give so much to the person driving, you give so much to somebody who might have distracted them, you give so much to somebody who this or that, and it's all divided up in percentages, correct? That's, that's right. So when you add liquor to it, it becomes a different case according to South Carolina law. You could divide it up all those ways, and you could have the alcohol people one hundred percent. That's well. right. And that, for a long time, you had these, you had these little center block buildings that are called juke joints, and so to make sure everybody's held responsible and held to the standards of serving alcohol, South Carolina has this requirement. I thought he had a good quote too. Uh, he said, "Well, wait a minute. If I'm one millionth of one percent responsible." I can be held 100% liable. So he does want to change those laws. One more question, John. Tinsley is trying to squash a subpoena that was sent out by Parker's attorneys to get phone records from Tinsley to various media outlets and reporters and Fitz News. Tinsley wants to squash that. Parker's wants to find out if Tinsley was the source of the leaks. The question would be if. Tinsley has nothing to hide about the leak. Why would he quash the subpoena for those phone records? I think any lawyer worth his salt is going to fight to turn over their phone records related to a case where they're the lawyer in chief. One, two, it may be a fishing expedition on the part of Parker's and their attorney, and they may just be trying to find out other information and using the power of a subpoena to find that out. So I don't think it's improper for him to ask that it be quashed, but I'm not sure that he'll be successful based on who those phone numbers belong to, because those are the people that he is saying released information improperly, potentially, or he's had contact with these other sources out in the public, and that may be where information was released from. So I think it's relevant to the lawsuit, but I think it's completely understandable that they are fighting it being released. All right, John Snyder, thank you very much. All right, guys. Well, thanks for having me, and it will be fun to see where this goes in the next few weeks. Yes, sir. Thank you, John. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Getting close to wrapping, but something with Fitz News, Seton. Will Folks with Fitz News interviewed a woman named Lindsay Edwards, who is a former sex worker and claims that she was forced to have sexual relations with Alec Murdoch, and during this time he was abusive with her. 
You can listen to the entire episode, I believe, on their YouTube channel. But what is interesting is that she has now been interviewed by SLED. We're interested what other names might pop up. Right. We don't know if she is being interviewed about her contact with Alec or also other potentially powerful people who may have been involved in this type of activity. Before we wrap, got a couple of uh, comments to share. Where are you two, say Jennifer and Tommy? I'm jonesing, missing your updates. No time for long vacation when the South Carolina old boys system's imploding. Love your sources. Uh, John, the expert attorney, Matt and Seton's voices. Just keep giving us info. That's from Eileen in Bamberg, originally from Philly. Uh, I had COVID. And uh, so life and everything, craziness, we had to miss a week. It was not vacation. Was this your second or third time having it? I, I think it might be my third. I'm losing track. I'm just a COVID magnet from KD. A, I really enjoy this podcast. Very unbiased coverage and respectful discussions. I think that's why the locals choose this podcast. Love the people you have on to interview too. So thank all of you for reaching out to us. We're always grateful you spend any time with us. And good or bad, we enjoy your comments. So review, give us a bunch of stars if you would. Share the episode. It all makes us happy. And if they want to find us, let's see. Is your brain still working, Seton? Somewhat. You okay. can find us on Facebook at Murdoch Podcast or on our website, which is MurdochPodcast.com. And Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. And we will talk soon. Join Halataha for actionable advice from the brightest minds in the world on the Young and Profiting Podcast. Author and academic Arthur Brooks on what success isn't. The husband was confessing to his wife that he might as well be dead. And I'm thinking, whoa, what's wrong with this guy? I turn around to get a look and it turns out to be one of the most famous men in the world. The world tells you that if you are profiting, money, power, pleasure, fame, you're going to be happy. And that's a bogus formula. The Young and Profiting Podcast, wherever you listen. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network.